I don't really know how to follow that up, so I'm going to try. Do me a favor, if you have your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 16. We're going to pick up where we left off. And uh, man, we got a great text this morning uh, to look at, teaching of Jesus Christ to us. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in a chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, uh, do me a favor, take that one with you. Okay, that's our gift to you. Inside of your bulletin is a handout. You can follow along with us. And uh, we've been doing a, a series through the Gospel of John, and we've, I've really parked here in chapters 13 through 17 with this very unique place in the New Testament uh, of this teaching of Christ to his 11 disciples that takes place between uh, the Last Supper and, and the cross of Christ. And he spends some time with his closest followers teaching them some things that we don't get in the other Gospels, okay? And so um, it's just been spending some time here. I hope you enjoyed it, man. I've really enjoyed studying and preparing. While you're kind of getting there, I want to bring a couple things to your attention. I told you this year, uh, this summer, we had a lot going on at Coastal Community Church on Thursday morning, very early Thursday morning, late Wednesday night, Thursday morning. We're sending 30 people to Honduras on a missions trip, and uh, and uh, you all helped send them through your donations and, and your support of Coastal, and now we want to send them with our prayers, and so just want to encourage you to, to be praying for them. You can go to Coastal's Facebook page. They're going to update you uh, with pictures pictures and things as they have uh, internet availability. Uh, so just be praying for them. And then the second thing I want to bring to your attention is next week, uh, we are going to do uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And we, we try to do that about once a quarter corporately. And uh, we try to do baptism about two or three times a year corporately. And so, you know, you guys were excited when you heard a couple students got baptized. Well, we got a couple of uh, some adults and, and maybe even some students are going to be baptized next week. If that's something that you've been praying about or thinking about, or you know, hey, I'm going to be baptized next week, would you do me a favor and meet with me following the service. Uh, just go out these double doors and go this way, okay? So it's your right, and, uh, and meet me in the office back there. I just want to talk a little bit about the logistics of that, and, and uh, next week's going to be a great, great service, so I hope you're being prepared for that. Uh, several years ago, actually about a dozen years ago now, um, when uh, the U.S. Air Force was really making Langley Air Force Base kind of the home base of the F-22 Raptor. I know it's been distributed to other Air Force bases now, but at the, very early on, it was mostly at Langley, and there was a member of our church that was real high up there and, and in the process of bringing that airplane to this community. And uh, he came to me one day and he's like, hey, listen, would you ever uh, would you ever be interested in coming down and kind of seeing it? And I could probably get you into the, the Raptor simulator. Uh, and, and I'm like, yeah, I'm free. He goes, I haven't given you a date yet. I said, I'm free. Okay, just whenever that is, I'll be there, you know. And so and so he got me and some of the staff members, of course, we went down there and, and we got into the simulator and he kind of handed us off to a guide, a guy that was kind of going to show us how to use the simulator. And so he let me be the first one up, man. And I sat in the simulator and there was all these buttons and handles. I didn't know what I was doing. So he started to talk me through it, right? And so I got to help take it off and I was kind of in the air simulating it, okay? And so I don't think they trust me with an aircraft like that. And so, you know, I'm kind of doing my thing. Well, then all of a sudden his cell phone rings and he takes a phone call. And so here I am in one of the most awesome military machines in the world simulator. And, uh, you know, and so I'm like, and he's gone, my guide is gone, you know, and so I'm by myself. So, so while he's on the phone, um, I just start pressing some buttons, like, I'm, and then things start shooting out. I'm like, oh, this is cool, you know. And, and so he, he hangs up the phone, he comes back, and he literally, he cusses me out. He goes, you just gave away your stealth capabilities. And da, 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 da. he's just yelling at me. And then when he got done cussing me out, he goes, so what do you do for a living? That got really awkward, you know, at that point, you know, but 
but without my guide, without someone kind of showing me what, what, I, what to do, like I had no idea what to do with this aircraft, you know, and, and how to handle it. And, and this morning, we, we're going to look at a verse, that uh, a section of teaching of Jesus here that to me is... is, is it's really unbelievable. And I think when, you, when you're reading your gospel, if you skim over it quickly, you lose the power of what Jesus is really saying here. That, that uh, as, as Pastor Joey prayed in his prayer, like the, if you're a follower of Christ this morning, you got a deposit of the third person of the Trinity of God in your heart, mind, and life. It's incredible. And so this morning, I want to talk briefly about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So John chapter 16, Jesus says this. But in fact... It is best for you that I go away. Think about that. It's best for you if I go away because if I don't, the advocate, now on your handout, circle that word advocate, okay? We're gonna, we're gonna come back to that, okay? If I don't, the advocate won't come. And if I do go away, then I will send him to you, okay? So Jesus says this, the fact is, Jesus says, it's best if I go away. Now, let, let me stop there for a minute. I wanna ask you, this is a, a rhetorical question, so don't answer um, out loud, okay? Uh, so it's a rhetorical question. But I wanna ask you a sem semi-serious question. Okay, I want you to think about this. How many of you would trade the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life for a bodily appearance of Jesus Christ? Like how many of us do we law like, man, it would be great to just have Jesus show up and do like all these really cool miracles, right? Like to see a couple of them, man, that would, with my own eyes, like that would be amazing. And I wonder how many of us as followers of Christ would go, you know what, I would change, I would trade spots with those disciples at that moment. They didn't yet have the, the work of the Holy Spirit as poured out on Pentecost, but, but man, they had Jesus right in front of them. And so that is exactly the question I just asked you is the exactly the, is what's going on with these 11 disciples. Jesus is saying, it really is better if I go away because if I go away, the Spirit of God is gonna come. And he's gonna, he's the, the Holy Spirit's gonna come and he's gonna take residence in your heart. And Jesus uses a word here. He says, I will send the advocate the advocate is going to come and be a part of your heart and be a part of your life. Now, uh, in the English word, we, don't, we actually don't have a great English word to translate this Greek word. There's no word that we have that really captures the meaning of the word. To, to transliterate the Greek word for you, it's paraclete. How many of y'all have heard that word before, the paraclete? If you've been in church circles long enough, you probably have, okay? He says, I'm going to send a paraclete. And, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a legal word. It's a, it's, a, it's a word that was used in the judi judicial system in the, in the Roman government, it, it had the idea of, of, of coming alongside of a person. It was, it was kind of a, a legal person in a, in a courtroom, come alongside a lawyer and help them out. Okay. That's kind of the idea of this word. It, it, the roles of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, to give you some context, or a broader view of what's happening here. The, some of the words are the idea of a helper. It's the advocate that comes into your heart and life, helps you. A counselor, an encourager. These are some of the concepts of this word advocate, okay? It's, it's more full-orbed than our English word can even get a definition around. And Jesus reminds his disciples, if I go away, I am going to send this advocate, the paraclete, that is going to come along. He's going to help you. He's going to give you counsel. He's going to give you encouragement. He's going to give you comfort. I want to think about that for a minute. How many of you this morning came in here and there's a situation in your life going on and you're like, man, I could, 
I could use some help from the God of the universe. How many in this room this morning came in here and there's something going on in your heart and life that says, you know what, man, I'm struggling. Some encouragement from God himself would be awesome because I'm, I'm hurting, right? How many of you in this room right now, there's a, there's a, a thing going on that, that's some wisdom from the God of the universe. Like, I, man, I, I've got some choices to make and, and they're not necessarily right or wrong. Like, I could just use some, what's the best choice? I could use some wisdom from, from the God of the universe. And Jesus says, man, guess what? It is better if I go away because I'm going to send the advocate, the Holy Spirit that's always going to be with you and is always going to be giving you help and counsel and encouragement and comfort. He's always going to be with you. Church, the Holy Spirit is with you. If you're a Christ follower this morning, doing and giving those things in your heart and life. Pretty incredible, isn't it? I'm not sure I'd trade that. Jesus goes on to say in John chapter 16, verse 8, and when he comes, man, this is important. This is an important time. I'm going to park here this morning, okay? And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of God's righteousness and of coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Remember John, uh, we, we titled the series Belief because John wrote that the reason he wrote this gospel is that we might believe in the person and work and the gospel of Christ. And so now Jesus here is saying, I'm about to send the advocate, the Holy Spirit, and this is going to be his role in the world. This is, and this is what he's working towards in our hearts and in our lives. And the first thing he says is he, he, he has, he's sending the Spirit to convict us of sin. All right? Now, I love the concept that God has sent his spirit to do the real spiritual work in our hearts. You wonder why I love that? It gives me great comfort as a pastor, you know? I was talking to somebody this morning. I had a little bit of an interruption in the middle of the night. One of my kids got sick. My wife was kind enough to handle most of it. But when your sleep is interrupted, you don't get a great night's sleep, you know? And they're like, man, I might not be one of your best sermons. And there's a part of me that's like, you know what, at the end of the day... As a pastor, it gives me great comfort that the real stuff that really happens, it doesn't matter how, you know, there's a lot, it's a lot of weight off my shoulders. The human heart is changed by the Spirit of God, not by me, okay? It gives me great comfort as a parent as I bring my kids up in a world that is screaming for their attention to run away from the righteousness of Christ to know that the Spirit of God does the real heart change in their lives. I got to point them to the truth. I got to model the truth. I got to, you know, get them in the word of God, which is truth, which leads them to spiritual things. But at the end of the day, if their hearts are going to be changed, it is the spirit of God that does the real work. It gives me great comfort. You know, a lot of y'all in your marriages, you're, you're fussing at one another all the time to try to change your spouse, you know. Man, I wish they changed. Man, I wish they changed. Man, I wish they changed. And you're, you're kind of one another. If they're a follower of Jesus Christ, guess what? They got the Holy Spirit in them. If they're not a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit's working on them. God's doing the work. We'd probably be better off spending time in prayer, right, than bickering. Marty, I think your wife would be amen in that. Anyway, so <clears throat> I love you. I just couldn't resist. <clears throat> Convicts the world of sin. That's what the Holy Spirit does. 
I don't like that thought because if you're like me, when you hear the word conviction of sin, you, you, if you're like me, you get the idea, man, I, I'm going to come to church and I'm going to feel bad, right? Like conviction of sin just sounds yucky, like, oh, yeah, ugh, I just, I don't want to feel bad. But if that's your take, if that's your thought, when you hear of conviction of sin, you've missed the point. I love the song that we just sang. We talked about the, the joy and the life that my sin promised really didn't deliver, right? What did the Apostle Paul say about sin in Romans chapter 6, right? The, way, the sin has a wage. It does deliver something to you. The wages of sin is what, church? Death, Right? The wage of sin is death. It's spiritual. It robs of life. In fact, the legacy of sin, according to the scriptures, is words like death and bondage and hopelessness and destruction and anxiety and fear. I mean, I've done plenty of counseling where people tell me they're anxious or they're, they're fearful or something. And then we, we start talking about their life and I find out there's a habitual sin in their life. Are you sleeping with your girlfriend or your boyfriend? Yeah, I am. What do you think the legacy of that is? You addicted to drugs or pornography, getting your high in life on something other than Christ. What do you think the legacy of that is? According to scriptures, it's death, it's bondage, it's all the stuff that we go, I don't want to be tied up in that. So I've got really good news for you this morning. The Holy Spirit is convicting us of sin. The Holy Spirit is the one that announces, hey, the way that you're going, the path that you're on is a path to destruction. It's a path to, to, to hopelessness. It's a path to bondage. And isn't it a good thing that God's Spirit is working in our hearts to say, that is not the path that you want to be on. It's the work of the Spirit. If you're ever here on a weekend service and the Word of God is preached and, man, you're, you're convicted of something that's going on in your life, that's a really good thing. That's the spirit of God going, you don't want to be on this path. This is a path to death, and this is a path to destruction. And the word convict means to convince of fault or to convince of error. What a great thing that the spirit, even now, and some of you, is working in your heart and saying, you know what? Uh, there's this thing in your life, this direction you're going. It's, it's a bad direction. It's a direction that leads to death. I'm trying to convince you that you need to repent, which means to turn away and go on a diff different path, the path of righteousness. It convicts of sin. It says, you know what? I'm not heading down that direction anymore. It's the work of the spirit. Second thing about Jesus says here about the work of the Spirit in our hearts is it points to God's righteousness. Like this is not something that the human heart grapples with on its own because we're born into sin, we love our sin, we tend to, we naturally run from the righteousness of Christ and the freedom that his righteousness brings, the righteousness of God. We don't want that naturally. So the Holy Spirit awakens us to God's righteousness. Now, whenever you hear the word God's righteousness, I want you to think the character of God. God's righteousness is his character. It's who he is. He's good. He's righteous. He's holy. Everything about him is right, good, and holy. Okay? And so he, the Spirit draws us in to the righteousness of God. And if you remember, I said a couple weeks ago, I said, you know, I mentioned a few weeks ago in the sermon that I never really understood my need for a Savior. And I grew up in a church, okay? And I grew up in a, in a church that was really quick to lay in front of me the rules to make God happy. 
And if you kept the rules, and I mean, some of these rules, which now I look back and kind of laugh, but, you know, like some of the rules were like, you couldn't go to movies. Like the first movie I ever went to in the movie theater was Rocky IV, okay? And I felt like I was bra- I, like, God is so disappointed in me. You know, I, that's kind of how I grew up, you know? And, and, and so, you know, these were the rules. You didn't dance and you, you didn't play with playing cards. And if you think I'm kidding, that's how I grew up. Some of you, there's like four of us that grew up that way, right? You could play Uno, but you couldn't play, you know, whatever, hearts or something. And, and that's how it worked. And these were the rules. We were quick to show the rules, okay? But what I never came to grips with was the character and the holiness of God. And as long as you think religion is just a bunch of rules, I mean, if that's kind of how you're living, you're missing the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ is our Our God is righteous and holy, and you are so far removed from that that your presence in the, you you don't deserve to stand in the presence of a holy God. He will consume you immediately. And until I understood that, I never, ever understood the need for a savior. Never. The Jesus that I worshiped, he was just a little Jesus because I was just a little sick, you see. I really didn't, I didn't need a mighty savior. And I remember one of the verses, I know Pastor Joey and I both, and times we preach, we lean heavily into this passage because I, I'm, I'm sure for him too, it's very similar. This is one of those passages for me that when it sunk into my heart, I realized, man, I'm in a horrifying place apart from the gospel of Christ. Isaiah chapter six, the prophet Isaiah wrote this. He said, it was the year that King Uzziah died. Now, uh, this is a it's a passage that we're going to kind of get a little glimpse into the throne room of God, and we're going to see his character and his holiness and his awesomeness, okay? But it's interesting that Isaiah begins the chapter with the death of the king. Now, why does he start there? Well, he starts there because in, in Old Testament times, uh, um, the transition of government leadership wasn't as smooth as it is in America, right? We're a couple years away from voting on our president. When we vote on the next president, I mean, that transition will be incredibly smooth, and things, will, for the most part, will just go the way, I mean, uh, probably a decade ago, I mean, we, we got really messed up. Remember in one of our elections, we were counting dangling chads and stuff. How many of y'all remember that, right? And even then, it was pretty smooth. But in Bible times, when a king died, man, it, your whole world could be in an uproar. And so Isaiah here is kind of addressing that. Like, like this is, things are unsettled for me right now. Things are unsettled for us as a nation. We don't know what's going to happen. Maybe you feel like that right now. Maybe you're unsettled. And he's very, very clear here in Isaiah chapter 6, who's in control, It's not King Uzziah, and it's not the next king, ready? It was the year that King Uzziah died, and I saw the Lord, and he was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, these are angels of God, each having six wings, and with two wings, they covered their faces, and with two, they covered their feet, and with two, they flew. Now, I wanna wanna point out something here. Here are the angels of God. They are without sin. Okay, they don't sin, yet in the presence of God, they cover up. Why? Because they're the creature. They're the created. Just, you can be righteous and holy, but you still come in the presence of God. You're still the created, okay? So the angel is smart enough to, to cover up. Say, I don't belong in the presence of God. And they were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. 
And their voices, man, they shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. And then I said, it is all over. I am doomed. I love some of the older versions of the scriptures here where Isaiah screams out, I am undone. I'm undone. I'm doomed for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. And Jesus here says, the Holy Spirit is coming into your presence to convict the world and to point out the righteousness of God. He's holy, he's righteous, we don't belong in his presence. And when you come in contact with an understanding of the holiness of God, it is a holy and terrifying place to be. It's awesome. When you understand that your problem is you're a sinner and one day you're going to stand in the presence of a holy God, it really should terrify you. There should be a healthy awareness that I am not going to stand in any way in the presence of God without being consumed because of my sin, my selfishness, my disobedience, my unrighteousness. And the problem is many of us in this room, we've never come to grips with the character of God first. I was, I was driving in here this morning and there was a little, I was listening to Caleb and there's a little snippet on there of a guy trying to say, when you go through your life, you know, make sure that you're talking to people about Jesus was basically the point, right? And I agree with him, but let me give just a tiny bit of pushback. A lot of us in our culture don't know that we need a big savior because we don't know our big problem. We're presenting a solution that people don't know that they have a problem. It is until you understand the character and righteousness of God that you're going to understand the need for a Savior. That our God is utterly set apart in his perfection. And our sin and our unrighteousness has no place in his presence. And if you never come to grips with that, you're going to conclude that you're just a little sick and you need a little help. Or you're maybe a little lost and you need a little saving. Or maybe you conclude that you don't need a savior at all. Or probably worse yet, you just need a little bit of religion. When the fact is, according to the scriptures, is we need a mighty savior that is indeed mighty to save. The gospel message of Jesus Christ is quite different, church, from religion. I want you to hear that again. The gospel message of Jesus Christ is quite different from religion. The gospel message of Christ is that Jesus humbly bowed to the will of the Father, died a brutal death to pay the penalty that your death deserved. And then by grace through faith, the works of Christ, his perfect works, his righteousness, the righteous character of God is then credited to you by grace alone through faith alone. We never earn it. It's the message, the gospel message of Christ. That's why we gather and we sing the song Marisars and we sing hallelujah. If you're looking around people singing hallelujah at that point, you don't get it. It's because you don't understand the righteous character of God. And if this morning, by some chance, your heart is being awakened to the righteous character of God and how you do not belong in the presence of God, great! Because the Spirit is working on you. Jesus says the Spirit's gonna come, he's gonna convict of sin, he's gonna reveal to you the righteousness of God. And that you don't belong in his presence. And it's going to begin to stir in you. Like, what do I do? Like, what's next? And the what's next is you need a savior. Jesus Christ. Third thing Jesus said about the spirit of God. It reminds us of coming judgment. This is like the Debbie Downer message, right? 
the spe- when you in your heart you begin to contemplate your mortality, you begin to contemplate your eternity, your existence into eternity, and you begin to contemplate that one day I'm going to stand before the God of the universe and give an account for everything. That's the work of God's Holy Spirit. That's good stuff. A very wise person would think about that. An unwise person would go through life and not care. In fact, I... I've done enough funerals of people where I don't really know how much contemplation they've given that. It's very discouraging to me because I know God's Spirit's working and convicting and moving. And I think, man, did they they never listen to the Spirit of God? And reject the gospel of Christ? Which Jesus said here, I'm going to hold that against them. Like that's, That's their main sin. Psalm 39 says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. Like that, that's okay. Like you, and the reason that's okay is if you put that in perspective, like you're going to get up tomorrow and go, man, today, I better make today count. I better, I better be living for Christ and I better be thinking about legacy and I better be giving a good day's work and you know I'm representing God and all that. Like every, this, for all I know, this could be, I better make this a good one today. And even if I get a few more, it's just a few more, I better make everyone count and I better be doing things that are, have eternal impact. Hebrews 9 says, and just as each person is destined to die, how many times, church? Once, by the way, what, what does that do to some things that we, even as Christians, we've kind of a, allowed into our, our vocabulary, right? What does that do for reincarnation, right? And we even talk about that, right? We use words like karma. That's karma. It's all from Hinduism, okay? Believes in reincarnation. According to Hebrews, that's, that's not the case. We even joke around. Like, when I come back, and I, I get it. I'm not, like, being a jerk about it, right? Get, we joke about that. When I come back, you ain't coming back. Okay, according to this. Listen, I want to come back like Michael Jordan too, okay? It ain't happening, all right? That's it. And just as each person is destined to die once, after that comes what? Judgment. Who reminds you of that? Who takes these words this morning and reminds you of the serious implications of that? Who does that? According to the scriptures, according to Jesus' teaching, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's taking the truth of these words and pressing upon our hearts this morning. If you're here today, man, and you're grappling with that, and you're grappling with how these truths impact your life, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And it radically shapes our thinking. It radically shapes our behavior. It radically shapes your approach to sex and sexuality. Radically. Because if God has defined for us how this best works, and he convicts us of sin when we're not doing it right, and he reminds us of the righteous of God, how God has tell, defined it for us, and that one day we're going to give an account of whether we chose and we behaved and we did things. And again, it's not about behavior modification, it's about the gospel message, but one day we're going to give an account of that. That's the work of the Spirit, man. It matters how we choose tomorrow, this afternoon. It, it, it affects how we approach money, right? If, if destined for a man to die once after that, there's judgment, like... I guess with money, you ain't taking none of it with you, so I guess I better think about how I'm going to steward the money God's given me. It affects the way we work. It affects the way we approach our spouses. It 
affects the way we treat our neighbors and strangers and it even affects our enemies, how we treat our enemies, people we don't like very much. Because the Holy Spirit reminds us an account of our lives will be given. Convicts the world of coming judgment. The third thing Jesus teaches about the Holy Spirit, it's a truth guide. The Holy Spirit is a truth guide for us. John chapter 16 verse 13 says this. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into what, church? What's he going to guide us in? All truth, right? He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. And by the way, who, what did jo- the Apostle John write about the future? Anybody know? The book of what? Last book of the Bible. Revelation, right? So he guides us in the future with his word, right? He, he will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. Which, by the way, this is very important to understand the roles inside of the Godhead and inside of the Trinity. What is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit pointing to? He's pointing to Jesus Christ, Okay. He's going to bring me glory. Just said, the Holy Spirit is a signpost that points us to the person and work of Christ. It's very important, church, that we understand that. Signpost. He said he's going to point us in the truth, right? Well, who's the truth? John 14, 6. What did Jesus say about the truth? Jesus said, I am the way. I am the what? Truth. If the Holy Spirit is pointing us to truth, he's going to point us to the person and work of Christ. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. The Holy Spirit points us to worship Christ. Jesus Christ, by the way, church, at Coastal, is the central focus of our worship. He's the one that's lifted up. He's the one we focus our attention on. And if the Holy Spirit is working in your heart and life, then he is the one that your heart is engaged with. And Jesus is clear about this. Why am I spending, like, why is he getting off? fussy about this. I'm going to tell you why. Because there's a lot of churches in America that are focusing on the work of the Holy Spirit in their midst. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's going to take over your behavior, and you're going to you know, do this and do that. When I look at this passage, I see a person that is focused on the gospel message of Jesus Christ. That's the work of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit is going to uplift Jesus Christ. It's going to uplift truth, which is the Word of God. It's going to make sure that we're focused on the person, work, and ministry of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit awakens our hearts and awakens our minds to that truth. That we need a Savior, Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit awakens us to the truth of the Word of God. He says He's going to point us to truth. Truth is in Christ, and truth is in his words. And, the Holy, and Jesus said that. He's going he's to alive in your heart to the truth, to the words that I give him to speak. What are the words? The words of the scriptures. Okay, And, and the Holy Spirit's going to point us to the truth of the scriptures. And our hearts are going to be engaged with the word of God. I've, I've met with far too many Christians who have told me that God told them something that is in direct disobedience to the word of God. To which my head starts to scratch, and I go, God... God didn't tell you that. God didn't tell you to leave your spouse. I've heard that too many times in my ministry. God didn't tell you to move in with your boyfriend or girlfriend. I've heard that too many times in my ministry. God didn't tell you to not be generous with your money. I've heard strange things like that. 
the Holy Spirit's going to point us to the Word of God, and, and our hearts are going to be convicted by the Word of God, and we're going to pursue the righteousness of the Word of God, and we're going to pursue the gospel message of the Word of God, the person and work of Christ. And the Holy Spirit empowers God's Word to change us more and more into the image of Christ. Which, by the way, it's one of the important reasons if you're, if you're working on a friend that maybe isn't a church grower and not a follower of Christ, one of, one of the things that's really important for you to do is to continue to invite them to corporate worship because it is in the preaching of the truths of the Word of God that the Spirit empowers that and changes hearts. And it's weird to me that that's what God would choose to use because it seems like there's a lot of other venues that would be more effective. But the scriptures say, Paul says, if I remember last year when we looked at Romans, and I said it was kind of a fundraising letter where Paul was trying to go to Macedonia so he could take the message of Christ there. And he said, man, that people can't be changed if they don't hear the word of God preached because that's what the Holy Spirit uses to change hearts and lives. And so if you're here this morning, I got some really good news for you. If you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. It is because the Holy Spirit has brought your spiritual heart your spiritually dead heart back to life. I want you to hear that again. If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it is because the Holy Spirit has brought your spiritually dead heart back to life. It's convicted you of sin. He's made you attentive to the righteousness of God. He has alivened and awakened your heart to the gospel of Christ. He has encouraged you to number your days. And he's pointed you to the truth of the gospel message of Christ. I want to finish this morning by asking a couple questions. What was your expectation coming to Coastal this morning? What was your expectation coming here? That's rhetorical. But think about that. What was your expectation walking in here this morning? Um, the question that most Americans ask when they attend corporate worship are some of these. And by the way, these are questions that I ask, the staff of Coastal asks, the leadership asks. We, these are important questions, right? But most Americans, when they come to a corporate worship service somewhere in America, ask these kind of questions. And they're subconscious. They don't always ask them out loud, but they're there. Did, did, is there enough parking for me? Did I get, did I get a good parking space? Did I have, did I have to walk a long way? Did the, was the building neat? I mean, did I walk in and smell nice and, you know, it was neat looking? And uh, Did anyone greet me? Was I friendly when I walked? I mean, did I, you know, was I made to feel welcome? If you had kids, you probably ask questions, man, and these are good questions, but how'd the check-in go? Was it quick, expedient, where kids feel safe, right? Well, that's important. If you use the restroom, People make decisions on this, like smell okay, look okay, was it clean enough, right? How about seating? Like, man, I hope, I hope there was enough seating because if I have to sit right next to someone, I'm like, I'm really uncomfortable with that. I may not come back if there's not two chairs between me and the closest person, right? And the bulletin, did it give me enough information? And, and was it easy to read? And, and, and were there some programs at the church that interested me? And my family, like, you know, it's got to be this and that and this program for, for my family to connect here. And, and the music, was it your type? The style okay for you? Loud, too loud, quiet, whatever, you know? 
music all right for me? Because these are the questions that people ask when they come to church. We clap enough. They clap too much. Hand raise. You come from a hand raising background. Maybe you don't. Like they too many hand. Too not enough hand raise. Whatever you know. And in a minute, man, we're gonna like. What's this church do for offering? Because that gets uncomfortable. You know, are they a big money asker church. And how about the preacher? He relate. Is he funny, engaging? Seem trustworthy? Was he smart or dumb? We all know the answer to that. Coastal. Was it relevant to me? Was it too long? Was it engaged? Like, these are the questions that Americans ask when they come to church. We're told that about to weep for my culture because I think we're so lost. I'm told that me, people make up their minds in seven minutes if they're coming back or not. Seven minutes. That's all we got to make an impression for the gospel of Christ. I've done a little bit of reading, watched some sermons on some of the great revivals of the last 200 years. I mean, like the really big ones that really impacted the local churches and really changed the cultures. And you want to know what they usually look like? It is not about music, and it is not about parking, and it is not about childcare, and it is not about programs. You want to know what it is? In those great revivals, the very first thing that happens in the heart of the listeners is conviction of sin. I mean, it's... It's, it's even people that I think are probably Christians that begin to go, woe is me, I'm undone. I mean, this is the Isaiah, the prophet. I mean, if there's anybody good in the culture that I deserve to be in the presence of God, it's Isaiah. But man, when there's a great revival, it's the work of the spirit and people like Isaiah go, I don't belong here. What am I, do- what am I doing with my entertainment? Why have I settled for that garbage in my mind and in my heart? And the great revivals of the last 20 years, that's the first question. Then it's the righteousness of God and his holiness. And it's a coming, an understanding of the coming judgment that one day we're going to stand before the God of the universe and how lightly we took the message of the gospel. We're going to give an answer for that. And so I want to close with a question this morning, church. What were your expectations coming in here this morning? Were your expectations coming in here this morning? Because my prayer as I prep this message is how awesome would it be if we became a church of people that expected God's spirit to move through the preaching of the word to bring us and mold us to be more like Christ. And I'm not talking about craziness and goofiness. I'm talking about real stuff, conviction of sin, and righteousness, and coming judgment, and truth, and the gospel of Christ. What if that was our expectation coming in here this morning? Would that have changed your worship experience this morning? 
Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I know I've heavied here at the end, but man, I mean, we're talking about real stuff this morning. I mean, we're, we're talking about we're talking about messing around with sin as if it's, it's a small thing. You were so serious about sin that you brutally killed your own son so that we would have some idea of the high cost of sin in your, for us to be in your presence. And then, God, by just your grace alone, you clothe us in the righteousness of Christ. We, we get to stand in your presence clothed in the righteousness of Christ, not because of doing, but because of done. How awesome is that, Lord? And then as an overflow of worship, we, we go out of these doors and, God, we, we sometimes don't look a, a thing different than the rest of the world. God, forgive us, God. I pray that even now your spirit is convicting, God. Your spirit is molding. Your spirit is reminding. Your spirit is pointing us your son Jesus Christ and that we would walk in here and we would expect to meet your truth your righteousness and your holiness we would expect to come to grips with the gospel of Christ and we would expect our hearts to be renewed and to walk out of here worship you in righteousness and holiness all throughout our week. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church, this is our offering time. Uh, if you're a guest with us this morning, I do want you to know we are not after your money. Okay, This is one of the ways we worship God at Coastal, and so if you'd like to join us in that, you're certainly welcome to, uh, but don't feel an obligation to give. Um, as a guest, one thing I'd like to have from you is on the side of that bulletin is a connect card. We call that a tear-off. If you just fill it out, drop that in the offering plate, we want to send you a thank you card for coming. I do want to let you know at the end of the service, uh, we always have one of our prayer team members up here at the front. They have purple shirts, and uh, man, they would uh, love to pray with you. Maybe God's convicted you of some things, and you'd like to pray with someone, talk to someone before you leave. They're up here. You can come up during the offering time and come up at the end of the service. They're here to meet with you and minister to you. Okay?
Father, use 